0: chapter 10 of mysterious island this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by piotr nater the mysterious island by jules verne translated by Stephen w white chapter 10 the engineer's invention island or continent departure for the mountain the forest volcanic soil the tragopans the mouflons, the first plateau, encamping for the night, the summit of the Cone. A few minutes afterwards, the three hunters were seated before a sparkling fire. Beside them sat Cyrus Smith and the reporter. Pencroff looked from one to the other, without saying a word, his kabyai in his hand. "'Yes, my good fellow,' said the reporter, "'a fire, a real fire that will roast your game to a turn. But who lighted it?' said the sailor the sun the sailor could not believe his eyes and was too stupefied to question the engineer had you a burning glass sir asked herbert of cyrus smith no my boy said he but i made one and he showed his extemporized lens it was simply the two glasses from his own watch and the reporters which he had taken out filled with water and stuck together at the edges with a little clay thus he had made a veritable burning glass and by concentrating the solar rays on some dry moss had set it on fire the sailor examined the lens then he looked at the engineer without saying a word but his face spoke for him if smith was not a magician to him he was certainly more than a man at last his speech returned and he said put that down mr spilett put that down in your book i have it down said the reporter then with the help of neb the sailor arranged the spit and dressed the cabii for roasting like a sucking pig before the sparkling fire by whose warmth and by the restoration of the partitions the chimneys had been rendered habitable the engineer and his companions had made good use of their day smith had almost entirely recovered his strength which he had tested by climbing the plateau above from thence his eye accustomed to measure heights and distances had attentively examined the cone whose summit he proposed to reach on the morrow the mountain situated about six miles to the northwest seemed to him to reach about three thousand five hundred feet above the level of the sea so that an observer posted at the summit could command a horizon of fifty miles at least he hoped therefore for an easy solution of the urgent question island or continent they had a pleasant supper and the meat of the kaby was proclaimed excellent the sargassum and pistachio nuts completed the repast but the engineer said little he was planning for the next day once or twice Pencroft talked of some project for the future but smith shook his head to-morrow he said we will know how we are situated and we can act accordingly after supper more armfuls of wood were thrown on the fire and the party lay down to sleep the morning found them fresh and eager for the expedition, which was to settle their fate. Everything was ready. Enough was left of the caviare for twenty-four hours' provisions, and they hoped to replenish their stock on the way. They charred a little linen for tinder, as the watch-glasses had been replaced, and flint abounded in this volcanic region. At half-past seven they left the chimneys, each with a stout cudgel. By Pencroff's advice they took the route of the previous day, which was the shortest way to the mountain they turned the southern angle and followed the left bank of the river leaving it where it bent to the southwest they took the beaten path under the evergreens and soon reached the northern border of the forest the soil flat and swampy then dry and sandy rose by a gradual slope towards the interior among the trees appeared a few shy animals which rapidly took flight before top the engineer called his dog back later perhaps they might hunt but now nothing could distract him from his great object he observed neither the character of the ground nor the products he was going straight for the top of the mountain at ten o'clock they were clear of the forest and they halted for a while to observe the country the mountain was composed of two cones the first was truncated about two thousand five hundred feet up and supported by fantastic spurs branching out like the talons of an immense claw laid upon the ground between these spurs were narrow valleys thick-set with trees whose topmost foliage was level with the flat summit of the first cone on the northern side of the mountain vegetation was more scanty and the ground was seamed here and there apparently with currents of lava on the first cone lay a second slightly rounded towards the summit it lay somewhat across the other like a huge hat cocked over the ear the surface seemed utterly bare with reddish rocks often protruding the object of the expedition was to reach the top of this cone and their best way was along the edge of the spurs. we are in a volcanic country said cyrus smith as they began to climb little by little up the side of the spurs, whose winding summit would most readily bring them out upon the lower plateau the ground was strewn with traces of igneous convulsion here and there lay blocks debris of basalt pumice stone and obsidian in isolated clumps rose some few of those conifers, which hundreds of feet lower in the narrow gorges formed a gigantic thicket impenetrable to the sun as they climbed these lower slopes. Herbert called attention to the recent marks of huge paws and hoofs on the ground. These brutes will make a fight for their territory, said Pencroft. Oh well said the reporter who had hunted tigers in india and lions in africa we shall contrive to get rid of them in the meanwhile we must be on our guard while talking they were gradually ascending the way was lengthened by detours around the obstacles which could not be directly surmounted sometimes too deep crevasses yawned across the ascent and compelled them to return upon their tracks for a long distance before they could find an available pathway at noon when the little company halted to dine at the foot of a great clump of firs at whose foot bubbled a tiny brook they were still half-way from the first plateau and could hardly reach it before nightfall from this point the sea stretched broad beneath their feet but on the right their vision was arrested by the sharp promontory of the southeast, which left them in doubt whether there was land beyond on the left they could see directly north for several miles but the- northwest was concealed from them by the crest of a fantastic spur which formed a massive abutment to the central cone. They could therefore make no approach as yet to the solving of the great question at one o'clock. The ascent was again begun, the easiest route slanted upward towards the southwest-west through the thick copse there, under the trees, were flying about a number of gallinese of the pheasant family these were tragopans adorned with a sort of fleshy wattles hanging over their necks and with two little cylindrical horns behind their eyes of these birds which were about the size of a hen the female was invariably brown while the male was resplendent in a coat of red with little spots of white with a well-aimed stone spilett killed one of the tragopans which the hungry pencroff looked at with longing eyes leaving the copse the climbers by mounting on each other's shoulders ascended for a hundred feet up a very steep hill and reached a terrace almost bare of trees whose soil was evidently volcanic from hence their course was a zigzag towards the east for the declivity was so steep that they had to take every point of vantage neb and herbert led the way then came smith and the reporter pencroff was last the animals who lived among these heights and whose traces were not wanting must have the sure foot and the supple spine of a chamois or an izard. they saw some to whom pencroff gave a name of his own sheep he cried they all had stopped fifty feet from half a dozen large animals with thick horns curved backwards hidden under long silky fawn-coloured hair they were not the common sheep but a species widely distributed through the mountainous regions of the temperate zone their name according to herbert was mouflon have they legs and chops asked the sailor yes replied herbert then they are sheep said Pencroft. the animals stood motionless and astonished at their first sight of man. then seized with a sudden fear they fled leaping away amongst the rocks good till next time cried Pencroft to them in a tone so comical that the others could not forbear laughing as the ascension continued the traces of lava were more frequent and little sulphur springs intercepted their route at some points sulphur had been deposited in crystals in the midst of the sand and whitish cinders of feldspar which generally precede the eruption of lava as they neared the first plateau formed by the truncation of the lower cone ascent became very difficult by four o'clock the last belt of trees had been passed here and there stood a few dwarfed and distorted pines which had survived the attacks of the furious winds. Fortunately for the engineer and his party, it was a pleasant mild day, for a high wind at the altitude of three thousand feet would have interfered with them sadly. The sky overhead was extremely bright and clear. A perfect calm reigned around them. The sun was hidden by the upper mountain, which cast its shadow like a vast screen westward to the edge of the sea a thin haze began to appear in the east, colored with all the rays of the solar spectrum. There were only five hundred feet between the explorers and the plateau where they meant to encamp for the night, but these five hundred were increased to two thousand and more by the tortuous route. The ground, so to speak, gave way under their feet. The angle of ascent was often so obtuse that they slipped upon the smooth-worn lava. Little by little the evening set in, and it was almost night when the party tired out by a seven hours climb arrived at the top of the first cone now they must pitch their camp and think of supper and sleep the upper terrace of the mountain rose upon a base of rocks amid which they could soon find a shelter firewood was not plenty yet the moss and dry thistles so abundant on the plateau would serve their turn the sailor built up a fireplace with huge stones while neb and herbert went after the combustibles they soon came back with a load of thistles and with flint and steel and as neb began to blow the fire a bright blaze was soon sparkling behind the rocks it was for warmth only for there kept the pheasant for the next day and supped of the rest of the cabiai and a few dozen pistachio nuts it was only half-past six when the meal was ended cyrus smith resolved to explore in the semi-obscurity the great circular pediment which upheld the topmost cone of the mountain before taking rest he was anxious to know whether the base of the cone could be passed in case the flanks should prove too steep for ascent so regardless of fatigue he left pencroff and nab to make the sleeping arrangements and spilett to note down the incidents of the day and taking herbert with him began to walk around the base of the plateau towards the north the night was beautiful and still and not yet very dark they walked together in silence sometimes the plateau was wide and easy sometimes so encumbered with rubbish that the two could not walk abreast finally after twenty minutes tramp, they were brought to a halt from this point the slant of the two cones was equal to walk around the mountain upon the acclivity whose angle was nearly seventy-five degrees was impossible but though they had to give up their flank movement the chance of a direct ascent was suddenly offered to them before them opened an immense chasm in the solid rock it was the mouth of the upper crater the gullet so to speak through which when the volcano was active the eruption took place inside hardened lava and scoria formed a sort of natural staircase with enormous steps by which they might possibly reach the summit smith saw the opportunity at a glance and followed by the boy he walked unhesitatingly into the huge crevasse in the midst of the gathering darkness there were yet one thousand feet to climb could they scale the interior wall of the crater they would try at all events fortunately the long and sinuous declivities described a winding staircase and greatly helped their ascent the crater was evidently exhausted not a puff of smoke not a glimmer of fire escaped not a sound or motion in the dark abyss reaching down perhaps to the centre of the globe the air within retained no taint of sulphur the volcano was not only quiet but extinct evidently the attempt was to succeed gradually as the two mounted the inner walls they saw the crater grow larger over their heads the light from the outer sky visibly increased at each step so to speak which they made new stars entered the field of their vision the magnificent constellations of the southern sky shone resplendent in the zenith glittered the splendid antares of the scorpion and not far off that beta of the centaur which is believed to be the nearest star to our terrestrial globe then as the crater opened appeared fomalhaut of the fish the triangle and at last almost at the antarctic pole the glowing southern cross it was nearly eight o'clock when they set foot on the summit of the cone the darkness was by this time complete and they could hardly see a couple of miles around them was the land an island or the eastern extremity of a continent they could not yet discover towards the west a band of cloud clearly defined against the horizon deepened the obscurity and confounded sea with sky but at one point of the horizon suddenly appeared a vague light which slowly sank as the clouds mounted to the zenith it was the slender crescent of the moon just about to disappear but the line of the horizon was now cloudless and as the moon touched it the engineer could see her face mirrored for an instant on a liquid surface he seized the boy's hand an island said he as the lunar crescent disappeared behind the waves End of chapter ten